Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 81 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. This week, we've got a very special first-time guest on the show with us to talk a little bit about casual play, but mostly about competitive play. But first, I'm your host, Brad V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First up, Dave the Algadron Vader. How's it going? How was your new year? Uh, it was good. Um, yeah, Christmas got a little weird with uh the mm-hmm. the the covid thing the covid scare was, yeah how did yeah. that turn out uh it's, it's fine she is recovering she's she's testing covid negative now which is Good what deal. we Good want deal. her to be testing but she's still like yeah. <laughs> pretty under the weather uh it was just kind of a is it was a it was a dramatic like shift in plans away sure. from yeah, yeah like we you know we we'd planned to, to have like you know a big christmas meal with lots of people and then we had to we had to change things pretty rapidly to to make sure that everyone was safe and uh mm-hmm. it was still a very v- good vacation i was really glad that i got to go out there and spend a lot of time with my parents yeah it sounds like a good time yeah other than the obvious yeah mm-hmm. well good 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 to hear uh next up as usual is our pdh phd liam how was your new year's my new year's got infinitely better after i texted in the discord uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I was able to make some last-minute plans and enjoy the evening. Yeah, you said uh, a whole bunch of people canceled on you. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, oh. approximately eight. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was about it was about every half hour starting at nine a.m. And by the time we got to about two p.m., I was sad. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but you ended up doing something though, right? Yep, we ended up oh, we ended up going out. So all was good. All right, good deal. Good deal. Are you the uh, are you guys the type of guys that like go out and watch the ball drop? You watch it on TV, or you, do you care about the ball dropping? We on do New not Year's? care at all about the ball drop. Uh, where I live, we actually have what's called the donut drop. Uh, okay, the I like that local donut shop comes out and they 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 host the the whole event. Uh, but they have a a giant like I don't know if it's inflatable or if it's like an actual like like structure, uh, but a giant donut that gets mounted on top of. Uh, downtown city hall <laughs> and at 7 p.m this donut gets dropped and when it hits the bottom you know everyone shouts happy new year we we get to go to bed early but yep. the donut shop brings 5,000 fresh glazed donuts for free holy cow uh and they always Amazing. have some other vendors like one year they got a soup vendor to come out one year uh actually uh two years ago and ever since then they've gotten the the downtown fire hall to sponsor hot chocolate uh they've got like a local band that plays uh, some of the museums that are downtown open. All the restaurants have late hours. It's become this like huge thing, and they started it oh, at, that's really cool. six to eight years ago. But it's fantastic because it's like super kid friendly because it's seven p.m. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's it's a great thing. We did not end up doing that this year, but that that is what happens locally. So like nobody sure. actually cares about the New York ball drop because everyone's in bed by 10 <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that sounds perfect what about you dave you you a ball dropping fan you a countdown person no no i was i think yeah, i was ca- asleep when it happened this year like i was yeah, i was not the paying same attention here. we'll usually like 
turn on whatever channel we know is televising the you know whatever ball drop from wherever at like 11:55 and then we're like cool it's 6 minutes till bedtime <laughs> let's go so but that's about it uh all right cool uh Dave and Liam help me welcome to the show one half of the common theory podcast and accomplished cpdh grinder to the show gatorbait tv thanks for coming on buddy how's it going yeah pretty good i can't complain thanks for having me on you guys I'm, I'm yeah, a, absolutely. I'm applauding very quietly into the microphone. I'm not sure what you mean by help me welcome, but I'm doing my best. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure either. It just sort of uh, showed up in the show notes. I don't <laughs> even know who put it there. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little embarrassed. It's It's been 31 episodes since we had your counterpart on, and this it feels embarrassing to have it be me, this long. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of... Yeah. yeah. This is lo- long overdue. Uh, yeah, for sure. And and bef- lest anyone get the wrong impression from that, long overdue and totally our fault for just not <laughs> reaching out about it sooner. We uh, we got distracted. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, welcome to the show. How does South Florida celebrate the new year? Well, we like the ball dropping. Uh-huh, I must uh-huh. say, and yeah, lots and lots and lots of fireworks. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yep. So, but we're nice and warm out here. I will say that. Yeah, it's been a little chilly. I think it's a little warmer than normal up here, but it's still in the high teens in the morning and low, you know, high 30s in the afternoon. So that's still colder than I appreciate it being. Yeah, but it's not terrible. I've been talking with a lot of people and letting them know, like, it's 73, 67, 80. So, average. Average temperatures out here. Yeah, that sounds nice. All right, cool. Well, before we get to the main topic, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, As usual, if you like the show and you like what we're doing here, consider supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. By being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually about an hour or so of just sort of catching up for the week, talking about old school magic or really just sort of anything that comes up, I guess. Uh, We post that directly on Patreon every week for you to listen to. Uh, You also get early access to the episode and the show notes before the episode goes on the public airwaves, usually the night before. Uh, You also get access to the PDH pod discord server, your own special channels there where you can chat with the crew, get help with your decks, build a mono black poison deck for some reason on a Wednesday morning, all kinds of good stuff there. And then starting pretty much this week, I just added a, uh, you can find us over on speakpipe.com slash the PDH pod. We're going to try to integrate um, listener messages, audio messages into the shows. The, uh, the Yargle episode we had was kind of a big hit, so if you have any listener questions, thoughts about the shows, tips, tricks, anything like that, you want to leave us a little bit of message, a little audio message, you can do that right on the website. You don't need an account or anything. You just hit the record button, talk into your phone, and we automatically get the message. We can play it here on the episode and answer your questions, listen to your messages, all that sort of good stuff. So, And I think there's like a 90-second time limit, so uh, try to be succinct with what you're saying, but we appreciate any messages we get over there. And then lastly, you can find us on YouTube and Twitch. We're just the PDH pod on both of those platforms. And the latter is where I stream Spelltable PDH uh, every Saturday at about 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. So I think that effectively keeps that house. Uh, Liam, what do we got for this week in Magic? Actually, fairly uneventful. Uh, partially because Wizards returns to work uh, either like today, recording day, or like next week which is three days after you're hearing this. So I right. still fairly uneventful, uh, but we did get one piece of news from the mothership is that secret lair 
shipping is actually going to change. So if you remember like the very beginning of Secret Layer, you know, the first super drop ever went astoundingly. Like it went without a hitch. And mm-hmm. then the next immediate secret layer was the Theros layers, and it went awful. It went terrible. <laughs> Anything that could go wrong went wrong because of COVID. And, you know, people right. received yeah. that layer like seven months late. And then the coin flip commando deck took like a year to get to people. Oh, and, yeah. And after that, they changed shipping so that they, they changed to a model where certain secret layers were only print to demand. And certain secret layers had like a pre-stock and would also be print to demand. So like they, they pre-printed some, but then printed to demand the rest. They are now moving to a new model uh, that they are basing off of four years of data. And that model is strict print runs for every secret layer. Now, is this, I didn't read the article, is this four years of secret layer data, like purchasing data and all that stuff? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's four, four years of secret layer data. Um, four years wow secret layer first first launch was december 2019 uh so yeah it's it's been four years seems like it hasn't been but it has (laughs) so the the way they're they're changing is that that most secret layers will be limited print run they're going to pre-print them before they announce them they announce them the sale window opens either they sell out before the window or the window closes and whatever they have extra presumably will become prizes at like a magic con or something or they'll be for sale at a later magic con sure but everything is is pre-printed like there there is no pto uh, ptd anymore it is it is this is the set number i don't think we get to know what that set number is right <laughs> and there are going to be exceptions there will be some exceptions that will be print to demand I imagine those exceptions are going to be universes beyond and or any future uh, mechanically unique cards. Mm, I imagine those two are going to be the ones that are are print to demand. Maybe also commander decks. But I think everything else will probably be pre-printed, call it a day. Sure. Yeah. Seems like an overall positive change, I guess, though. I'm not sure. I think it depends. there's definitely going to be positives and negatives. Whether it's a net positive or a net negative will wait to be seen. Yeah, It depends. Is Wizards going to print enough to take into account scalpers? Mm. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. That's. I think that's the big talking point right now. Yeah. The, uh, the ones with endless wallets. Yeah. Having pretty bad flashbacks of my attempts to try and get a uh, 30th anniversary edition mm-hmm. secretly. Yeah. I can't it's... remember which one I was in line for. This was not long after they started the secret lair. And yeah, it just didn't happen. Sat in, you know, the Watsi's, you know, you're in line or whatever. And then like <laughs> by the time I got to the front, it was gone. They were all gone. Naturally. Naturally. Yep. Yeah. Other than that, the other big thing is actually not from the mothership. Uh, it is from Commando Spellbook, which mm-hmm. is the search engine for EDH combos. They work very closely with EDH rec. They now support PDH. Yeah. Yeah, so if you got any, they, uh, they've cool got new combos, filters, get them on there. Now I've never messed yeah. with this website. Is it like a like you submit your own sort of stuff, or you send it to them and they sort of approve it and put it on their site? You know, I think it's an approval process. Okay. Either but once way, once something's cool. approved and it's and it's on their database, it's fully searchable and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and it's just combo stuff too. <laughs> yeah, it's all just combos. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So that's good news. Sometimes good, more eyes on the sometimes format. something like a uh, uh, just a high synergy will will sneak through, but mm-hmm. but typically that high synergy will lead to a combo. Yeah. So yeah. Sure. Or someone will yeah take that synergy and add one extra card to it to make it a combo. Yep. It'll the 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 high synergy will just be something that just generates resources, and then you just have to add a win con to it. Right. Exactly. Which I don't know yeah. really what those are. Uh, Dave. Do you have anything to add to this week in Magic? I have exciting news <gasps> this week in Magic. Beep, 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 beep. Ladies and gentlemen, I am committed to Chicago. I committed to Chicago so hard. <laughs> so hard. Sounds really serious. That my father, brother, and nephew are also coming. No way. That sounds super serious. It's true. It's that pretty serious. We're we've been going steady for three days now. I am, uh, I think a, I think a proposal might be in the works here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think around end of February. Ready, ready for that yeah. leap. End of, end of February. I am. I have. I have a. I have a MagicCon badge. I got yeah. a. I got MagicCon fever, baby. MagicCon fever. It's happening, and I oh, yeah. could not be more excited. Uh, Excellent. I'm gonna go hang out with some pals. And yep. my and my family, and some PDH pod people, peoples, yeah, 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 yeah. I know Liam's going. Uh, yeah. Liam is going. Liam is taking exactly one day off work. Uh, I I know that there's a lot of people that are doing Thursday to Monday. I am doing Friday to Sunday. Uh, yep. <laughs> I will taking exactly one day off work. Flying in early uh, Friday morning. I will be flying out eh, Sunday afternoon. It'll be exciting. Amazing, amazing. I, too, printed up my badges because I'll be there at least Friday and Saturday. Yes. We'll have Friday the full pod. Friday and Saturday? On. Yeah, we're going to leave the house. We're going to drive up there fri- early Friday morning. And oh, hold, hold, on, just... hold on, hold on. You said we. Oh, uh, the wife and son are going, but they're going to just like hang out in Chicago and do Chicago stuff. Okay. So we're going to get a hotel for Friday night, Saturday night. We're going to drive up early Friday morning and just sort of like I'll casually make my way to the convention center, you know, after lunch and doing whatever, checking in at the hotel, all that sort of good stuff. So I'll be there at some point on Friday till it closes, and then I'll be there all day on Saturday. And then we'll head back out Sunday morning. That sounds amazing. So, yeah, all kinds of people. Anyway, I don't think this is the uh, MTG fest con chicago podcast so let's move on to the main topic here uh gator so just like we do with all of our first time guests here on the show do you want to give the listeners a little bit of like your history with the game and and ultimately what brought you to popper commander specifically like maybe a little bit of your mtg resume if you will sure and actually like until our our water cooler talk the other day in the sanctuary discord i had no idea you used to be a legacy grinder yes that is that is really cool so well I'll start with you with um, my voice is a bit choppy. Um, I'm just getting over a cold right now, so <clears throat> I apologize for What's that. What's all one. that 80 degree temperatures you're <laughs> yeah, suffering down there? Exactly. But yeah, no, Legacy was my forte. I used to love it, love it, love it. But no, I actually started playing Magic back in 1999. And I used to travel, do the Star City Circuit, do a whole bunch of things of that nature. But I ended up quitting in 2015 for just getting older thinking you know you know i'm done with it it's time to leave it yeah and then the wife she did the thing to me 
she let Uh-oh. our daughter buy some magic cards right at the end of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that'll do it every time. And we ended up getting, well, so it was kind of funny. What ended up happening was she came home with a D, my daughter at the time, and she was eight years old in third grade. And she's like, Dad, I can't do math. And I was like, well, we're going to take those magic cards and we're going to triple them. And I started buying a ton of magic cards. Mm-hmm. And she, her next report card, she got an A. And it was wow. awesome. And Incredible. That is incredible. Well, so it was due to Popper. So Popper, I started playing and I kept my one Popper deck prior to so what uh, how how did you make the shift from legacy to popper or were you sort of like playing both at the same time well this 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 may be a hot take but popper feels <laughs> like legacy uh-huh the yeah, yeah. the eternal feel the powerful cards just the consistency it's just it's a beautiful format in my opinion and it wasn't a hard leap to be able to go from legacy to popper so it was just one of those formats where I was like, you know, I, I get to play my ponders, I get to play my dazes uh, at the time. Right. Preordained, you know, I got to do whatever I needed to do and what I wanted to do in the format, right? Like, I had snuff mm-hmm. outs, you name it, it was legal, and it was so much fun. So I ended up making Mono White Heroic for my daughter. Mm, one of my favorite popper decks, and yeah. Yeah, we took off like a banshee after that and haven't stopped since. No, and she has made that very obvious with some uh, nice tournament finishes. That's why she plays Dargo. It's all about math. <laughs> yeah, lots of it there. So, have you? Do you play the same types of deck decks in sixty card popper and maybe even PDH as you did in Legacy, or like what kind of Legacy player were you when you were grinding it out? So, my favorite deck and the one I had the most results with was uh, Show and Tell. Well, actually, the name of the deck was called Show and Know. So it was a blue red. <laughs> is it? Um, Sure. Uh, yeah, so you were able to show and tell. Um, there were different variants, but mine was uh, Omniscience. And I used to love to just play Burning Wish because of consistency factors. So having uh-huh. three show and tell in the main and then having one in the board. So the deck was ah. absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, loved it, loved it. No proxies. At one point, I owned every single Legacy deck in the format. You could holy cow yeah my my collection was very very large and when i quit sold it all off was able to pay to live for many years so oh i believe it i believe it so you've always been a uh fast combo we is it player then yeah i mean we did a little everything i mean i love death and taxes i i played so many decks like just yeah. countertop like i even played countertop goif like back in the day, Canadian <laughs> Threshold. This was before Delver was sure. even printed, where you just had the right. nimble mongooses and stuff. So, uh huh. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, I had no idea you were that entrenched in the uh, the legacy there. Well, it's 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 why I avoid it today. All my friends try to pull me in. They're like, "Come on, format's so good." Hey, come on. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Keep me away. Keep me away. I can't resist. Yeah. I can't resist it if I get in there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll lose you forever. Uh, well, awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, actually, we brought Gator on the show for two reasons. First, they've never been on the show, and frankly, that's a crime. Like, It's totally our fault, my fault, Dave's fault, Liam's fault, but it's a crime that you've never been on the show before. We've had Puzzle Box on, but that was, what do you say, Liam, 31 episodes ago? 31. 
Oh, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, Who even number... were we 31 episodes ago? Uh, June. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> that. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but number two here is we just we wanted to get sort of a better understanding uh, from someone in the competitive trenches about the competitive side of PDH. You know, you're constantly working on concepts and theories, you know, not just decks, but the meta as a whole, developing the meta, gathering data, all that sort of thing. You know, you're not just like a player that grabs a deck and goes and play and plays in tournaments because that w- that's what you prefer. Like you prefer you like everything that goes into the competitive side of the format. Like I said, the numbers, the data, the deck construction, the theorizing, like you spend hours a week just like on random discord calls with players that want to talk about decks and talk about how to get better and this card and that card and uh, what'll work good here, what'll work good there. So uh, firstly, we wanted to sort of get your as up to date as possible, you know, January 3rd, 2024 view of like a uh, sort of a state of the format, state of the CPDH meta um, sort of address. Like where, where do you think it's at? Where do you think it's going? Is it healthy? Is it a little uh, unhinged at the moment? So uh, I think you can take it away from there. Just give us some of your thoughts. Well, I'm very sad to tell you <clears throat> that is incredibly healthy. It is probably mm. the healthiest it could ever be. Every deck. So so it's all downhill from here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. No, it's actually... So the format has grown so much in the past year, but it's also just become so incredibly healthy because we've gotten a lot of redundancy with a lot of cards, but we've gotten so many new players. So some of the decks that we used to think could or could not be competitive now have pilots that are really dedicated to playing that deck. And, yeah. and having results and we can actually see the numbers see what's happening and continue to move forward from there so i would like to put a amazing stamp of approval of the format is so healthy yeah and it really seems like it too like i dabble in cpdh you know we talk about it here on the show we commentate tournaments that sort of thing but like as mainly an outsider to that specific meta it's easy to notice uh, I guess the health of the format because you see a lot of players that you know like me I brew a deck a week for some reason but like you, you you see these players on the home base or the connoisseurs discord or what have you that really like like you said sort of take a deck they brew it up or they take an existing deck from four years ago that didn't do much and they really like dive into it and they max it out they optimize it as much as possible and they grind it out and they try to make it work until there's really no gas left in that tank and they try to make it as good as possible instead of just like, oh, I played it in a tournament, didn't do any good, so now I'm on this deck. You know, there's not a lot of hopping around. There's a lot of dedicated uh, pilots out there. Yeah. Well, there's something that we have in the format now that we kind of didn't have before. And Mm -hmm. we have what uh, me and Puzzle like to call the big three, which is Abdel Sorkos, Gretchen, and Malcolm X, typically Kedis Mm -hmm. or Breaches. Sure. And when you're looking at the format as a whole, you have to go, can I beat these decks? Or what steps do I need to take to compete with them? Mm-hmm. And then move forward from there. Yeah, that's totally fair. Were you going to say something, Dave? Uh, yeah, so it sounds like the uh, overall state of the format is a positive thing, which is good, I think. And I know I've said it before, we probably talked about it on the show, but like, I feel like for any quote-unquote 
casually oriented format like Pauper Commander to be healthy and to constantly grow and exist, I think it needs a competitive side. I think a lot of 60 card formats are that way too. I think you need a healthy competitive side of any format for the other half of it to exist and, and flourish as well. So I'm glad to hear that that's going well. And I'm, I imagine that a lot of the growth, you know, the individual growth of the pilots and the growth of the format as a whole can be attributed to a lot of the tournaments that we've had in the past year or two, would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the data actually does a lot. So a lot of people like to look at the first place winner. But I'm a person that always likes to look at the top four because the top four, you know, maybe someone had just the nut draw or maybe mm-hmm. somebody just made one misplay and it could have been a different person as the winner. So sure. you always have to look at the top four, see what they were doing and how they were even able to get there to begin with. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Well, awesome. Uh, thanks for that little address there. Do you want to move on to sort of like the secondary main topic here? I know you've got a few different to- talking points, but if you want to, um, I don't know if you want us to introduce them or if you just want to take it away. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely take it away for you guys. Um, Excellent. The one thing I really wanted to bring up here is uh, this is going to be a shout out towards the community as a whole. <clears throat> so something like you kind of already said earlier, Brad, was uh, I kind of go through discords and kind of like sit in chat rooms and People come in there, we all kind of talk. That is something that is, I think, kind of unique to the popper format as a whole, where mm-hmm. just random people come in and we get to have great conversations. And it's been absolutely fantastic. You know, I have a, a small little community that I kind of sit down with, <clears throat> kind of in the sanctuary, and we have a fantastic conversations. Now, not all of them are soft and cushy. Some Sometimes we argue, sometimes we <laughs> yell and kick and scream, but at the end of the day, we always have respect for one another, and it's been absolutely fantastic because we've all had a lot of growth, and yeah, I can't, I can't at all say how happy I am with the community as a whole. Right, yep. But one huge thing, and one reason why me and Puzzle are called the Common Theory, was the theory development side. And without someone applying, so I don't, I don't know if you guys will agree with me with this. The one issue we've had, like just historically with Popper, was decks are cheap. And because it's so cheap and it's like so easy to play the format, it's so easy to keep switching decks and switching decks. Oh my decks. God, that's my problem. 100%. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and because we do that, and it's, it's, it's convenient to do it too, right? You just get the itch and you're like, that looks cool. I'm going to do that now. So we've had so much of that through the community that there weren't very many people just going, you know what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to play Sivirus. Like we didn't have a person that would willingly do that. But -hmm. since we've been growing, the theory development side has expanded and we actually get to see a player pick up Sivirus and play 50 games with it and actually see what it could do and see that player's growth and see that deck grow, which has been just... absolutely fantastic for data absolutely fantastic for players and absolutely fantastic for back in the day where we used to have discussions and say well if this deck saw play or if we saw this card well we kind of don't have that too much anymore we kind of go well this player's played this deck dedicated to this or this player plays you know baked into the pie that's a random card but guess what they had success with it let's figure out why yeah, and I, I like that quite a bit, too. 
it's not just, you know, if I were to hop into Discord and be like, oh, I was thinking, uh, I don't know, I want to brew up, whatever, Commander X. And instead of, like, 20 people hopping in and say, oh, I, I don't think it's good, or, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I played that. Like, now there's three or four people that can you can be directed to. Like, oh, so-and-so has played it, so-and-so has taken it to a tournament, so-and-so has been working on it, here's your resources. Like, talk, you need to talk to them about it. And I love that we have that now on, on so many different... Um, so many different decks, commanders, all that stuff. Yep. And everybody's really willing to talk to one another, which is another mm -hmm. like huge like benefit because back in the day, you didn't really have anybody or like there was a lot of narrow-mindedness in the community as well. That is from my personal experience essentially gone. Everybody's right. willing to be like, "Hey, yeah, try this card. Hey, yeah, your local meta is probably different. Hey, yeah. What about this one?" And it it's absolutely been a blast, like just having discussions. And one one other note about the theory development was I kind of already brought it up with the big three. So Abdos, Orcos, Gretchen, and Malcolm X. When, when you're out there theorizing, you need to make sure that you could target certain things. And each one of these decks has certain weaknesses, right? So our favorite card to bring up on the common theory is Heated Debate. The card is fantastic against the three of those decks. And what does it also right. do? It's able to actually target Malcolm. It's able to target Gretchen. It's able to target Abdel and get them all dead. Right. So we really go into the tank and really like sit down with the community and we talk and we're like, hey, what do you think of this card? Oh, it's three mana. You know, this card might be better. Well, it can't handle Abdel. Well, but it beats Malcolm. So we really get into the tank and get into like the weeds and try to figure out what has more viability throughout the whole format. Right. Yeah. And I like that too, where it, it you know, and then it's probably a product of being a multiplayer format, but you know, we talked a lot about 60 card formats and generally, you know, if you're trying to beat the top dogs, beat the top two or three decks, you're putting cards in your decks that beat those specifically and you're going to crumple to other decks because you're geared just to beat them where something like heated debate that takes care of three of the commanders you just mentioned so well i mean that kind of brings me over to our gatekeepers we kind of spoke about these over in the uh the pre-show mm -hmm. and you know dave had some interesting thoughts which i'd love for you to share dave but those three decks that we like to call the the holy trinity of our mono colors, our gatekeepers, is Scholar <laughs> of the Ages, Dargo and Kedis, and Loyal Subordinate. Mm -hmm. These decks are like the streamlined like Corvettes and Ferraris of our format. They're yeah. going to go in a straight line very, very <laughs> fast, right? Yeah. So, Yeah, I, we, we talked about these on the pre-show a little bit, and I was a little surprised. Uh, I was... I was very into the competitive scene like two years ago, three years ago. It's 2024. Yeah. Some number, three years ago, I guess. And at the time, uh, the meta looked very, very different. The meta was uh, very, very focused on uh, top heavy combo control decks like Tatiova, Is It Guild Mage, uh weavers was a we at the time weavers weavers wasn't turbo combo it was a control combo it was it mm -hmm. was the fastest of the combo decks but it was still very controlly and we didn't really have like the aggro scene hadn't been developed at all really so 
Uh, we didn't we didn't see any loyal subordinates. We we never had to race those. We didn't see Dargo Kedis. We never had to race that. And uh, there was a guy doing a lot of work on Scholar of the Ages, but he was doing he was trying to compete in a meta that was much more heavy on the control side. So he wanted it to go more slowly and be more resilient. He wanted to, you know, he he was going to combo off when he had a handful of counterspells to fight through everyone else's counterspells trying to stop his combo. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he, it, this was not a turn five thing. So, like, Loyal Subordinate and Dargo being sort of the, the goalposts for, like, can you outrun this? Like that doesn't surprise me at all. That that absolutely is a is a change that I like watched happen, and uh, it was a huge paradigm shift, and uh, it it was there. But like hearing hearing Scholar of the Ages also be on this list of things that you need to outrun, like that was a big shock to me. I was like, buddy, I can I can outrun Scholar of the Ages. I I can and have outrun Scholar of the Ages with a Rune Crab Mill deck, <laughs> like. <laughs> But yeah, like you know, having having scholar be on this list of things that you need to like, you know, speed up against uh, like that that was that's wild to me. Yeah. yeah, not to get too far off onto a tangent, but uh, like loyal subordinate, for example, uh, not even for example, but specifically loyal uh, subordinate came out in Commander twenty eighteen. What happened in PDH in the last I don't know eighteen months or so that made it this suddenly like competitive force? Like, did, did it get new cards? Did someone just decide to start building it? So or has what, it always been around? What happened, from from my perspective, and I'll I'll I want to I want to throw some thoughts out there, and, I'll, and then I'll I'll see what Gator thinks because I yeah. I imagine that our perspectives are going to be a little different. In 2018, 2019, the competitive scene was like four guys in Germany. <laughs> messing around <laughs> like that was that was the entire thing it was it was yaleron crash mentir and a guy named piku who i i don't see piku around anymore but like that was the entire competitive scene and the within their meta they were all very much on this like combo is the most effective and efficient way to kill three people at once so we're all going to play combo and because we know everyone else is playing combo we're all going to pack a ton of interaction and counter spells to both stop other people's combos and protect our own combos from everyone else's thing and this this just was the meta and it okay. was i mean at at this point in time we recognized that it was their meta but like at the time it was the entire meta so yeah. like someone someone would show up in the Discord and be like, hey, I have an idea for like you know a Dargo aggro deck, like is it fast enough? And like the conventional wisdom was, no, someone's gonna you're gonna get Tamio's completion or you're gonna get frogified and then you're just out of the game. Like if you bring if you bring a single Dargo deck into <laughs> a game with Tetiova and Is It Guildmage and Weavers, like one person's gonna take care of you and then will ignore you for the rest of the game and like you you're not gonna have a meaningful impact on the outcome of that game. Right. Which was very accurate. And then uh there was this sort of movement where like after after having this discussion a couple times, there's a group of people who were like, I don't think that's true. I'm gonna go make my own server with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the magic. 
Um, they, they just pulled a bender and like that was Clay and Ryan and they made the tryhard server and they were like, okay, what is, what happens to the competitive scene if we, if we, if we're, if we take away this starting point of like expect to play against at least three combo control decks. Like if we show up and everyone is playing like Dargo, Aggro, Rilsa, mid range, like what what is what is how does competitive change when you're gonna see one or zero of these top tier combo control decks? And right. then people were like, Oh wow, these these actually have legs, like you can you can do some damage to the table with, you know, like Conrad Rats saw a lot of play at that time. And people were just experimenting with everything, and it kind of like there this there was this sort of like floodgate that opened, like you know around two thousand and one, two thousand two, when when the when the tryhards really took off, and yeah. like separated themselves from from this sort of um, two thousand one or two thousand twenty one. Numbers are fake. Um, <laughs> whatever whatever the, the correct one of those is. Whatever is um, socially acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that is my perspective mm-hmm. on why subordinate has been around for six years now, but is only seeing a big play in the last few. Okay. It was because totally for fair. for a long time we just didn't have the density of players and brewers and experimenters in the CPDH scene, and now we have that, and there's just been this explosion of different kinds of things, which is like a huge like honestly the biggest reason i wanted to get gator on the show to, to listen to him talk is that <laughs> with with this explosion of things the meta has shifted drastically many times over the last 18 months mm-hmm. um and every time it does gator knows about it before it happens before it has happened yeah, and is, I've, I've he, seen it he happen. shows up at the like i'm i'm over here like okay this is the deck that that I, i'm in my mind i'm thinking this is the deck that's powerful now and like that's what i'll that's what i'll expect and like i'm wrong that's the deck that was yep. powerful two months ago i'm a big dumb idiot no one plays that anymore <laughs> like the deck that's powerful now is the one gators playing Right. And like no one else is yep. playing it as well or as, as powerfully as Gator. And like that, that he's just constantly at the cusp of this this meta that is just shifting so rapidly. It blows my mind to see him just meet with like, you know, constant, consistent success in the competitive scene and just always being on top of it uh, is remarkable. So yeah. uh, that's my have, thing. Have I we considered, hear... have, have we considered that maybe Gator is causing the shift? I, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think somebody's that, got to. So I think that Gator is causing the shift in that, like people are kind of ch- like me. People are seeing his success, and then they're like chasing him. And by the time they get to where he was, he's somewhere else. <laughs> so like, he's a pe- meta maker, right? Right. And like he, like he's yeah. he's anticipating these people sort of like changing in response to the this 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 thing that is happening that like he's driving. And like when the meta does change into that, like he's already prepared for what it has become, and he knows how to beat that meta too. And like that's that's what just consistently blows my mind about Gator's success. So yeah. um, that is what I, I I want 
this was a question that you posed, I think, to Gator. And I just like rambled for 10 <laughs> minutes about nonsense. I really want to hear how Gator answers this question. And then I want to listen to him talk about how to uh, be on top of a meta that changes uh, constantly. constantly. Yep. Well, to start, Dargo, people forget that Dargo is insane against counterspells, which is a quick caveat from your uh, control era there you were talking about people always mm -hmm. forget that little aspect about dargo that so counter spells don't really hurt dargo at all in, that that's very true dargo is great at ignoring counter spells uh i at the time like the control aspect was half interaction and half tamio's completions frogifies kesmina's transmutations reprobations yeah. and dargo is uh pretty bad against those i guess you can sacrifice him to something and then try and recast him so he's not terrible against them but it'll definitely slow you down there, are, there does are, not like to be slowed down there there are there are like relevant struggles there yeah so w one of my favorite things and this is solely upon loyal subordinate right mm -hmm. so you you guys are going to get disgusted with the amount of games that i quit um in measuring dargo <laughs> kettis with so oh, i love it it was an uphill battle with Dargo Kettis, for sure, for sure. But I quit doing data on the deck. I had an Excel spreadsheet, and I quit doing it at 187 games. With and this just was, that deck. With just that deck, yeah. <laughs> and that's between online and local. Sure. And sure. I was just like, I have to figure this out. But like, people are like, well, it's just Dargo and Kettis. Well, no, the deck actually has a lot more within it to actually succeed. Right. But... Low subordinate was actually birthed because I was having those conversations, you know, with the player base. And they're like, I want to play aggro, but how do I do it? And it was simple. I was like, mimic Dargo Kettis. If Dargo Kettis is successful, we have to mimic it. What are its parameters? So it can kill the table by turn five on average. It's able to simultaneously kill the table. And it has just a disgusting threat in the command zone. How do we mimic that? And Mardu Rough Rider. Wait, what? <laughs> Did I lose the plot? Wait, what? What? Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Continue. I mean, what was so great about it was, you know, I I didn't technically task this person, but it was mm -hmm. like a challenge, and they found this to be incredibly challenging. They're like, I'm gonna find this. So like a whole week went by. And we were talking every single day. And on the sixth day, literally he goes, check it out. I found it. Loyal subordinate. And I'm like, what is that? That is a weird card. <laughs> this could do that, right? And I was like, not really. I don't know. Let's. And then we went into theory development mode and we started going to town and going to town and going to town. And I will say it started as a control deck because it was trying to mimic Crypt Rats. And then it evolved okay. into a baby Dargo Kettis. It's kind of like the joke we always say that it is. Yeah. So Loyal Subornate was birthed on the notion that we need to mimic kind of Dargo Kettis. If this is going to be successful, we need other things that could do this that are aggressive. How do we copy it? And Loyal Subornate was founded by this individual. And yeah, kind of all she wrote. Okay, so it was just a matter of, uh, for lack of a better word, just dedication to finding a different commander, and specifically this one. It wasn't like, 
a couple new cards got printed and you're like, hey, this is suddenly good. Like it actually took quite a bit of of legwork on the back end to make it happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the best cards in the deck is Shepherd of Rot. That is Onslaught. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah, yeah. old, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just old. So it is at its heart. It's a zombie tribal deck. And if you look at Dark of Kedis, at its heart, it's a goblin tribal deck. So a lot of these aggressive decks are very synergistic with their tribe or typal, as Liam would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, cool. Well, thanks for going on that little tangent with me. I was just kind of curious because it had, you know, it wasn't at least in the public eye for a while. And now all of a sudden it's like this powerhouse. And it's really cool to see that we have this sort of specifically a mono black strong deck in the competitive meta. I think that's really cool. That'll attract a lot more players than, than a lot of people realize. Well, the the other thought was, I don't want to play your Dark Oketis deck. You did that. I want something for myself. And I'm like, sure. totally fair. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, you see a lot of that in uh, the PDH sort of community and the Brewers community and the deck builders community. And it's not like a, not necessarily an ego thing, really. It's just like, like you said, okay, that's your deck. If you know, if I feel like playing it, I'll just copy your list and I'll take it to a tournament or do whatever with it. But like, I want to have my deck, my little collection of decks and uh, go from there. So yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's, you know, I have a ton of, you know, I have 37 paper decks or whatever. Finally, I only have a handful of them, a fraction of them on Moxfield because the other ones are decks that I found. uh, Like I have one or two of Alcadron's decks built in paper. I don't need to put that on Moxfield, but I really wanted it. And his version, like Brazen Upstart, I just put that together recently, he sent me some slivers for it. It was what I wanted to do with the commander, and I didn't find a reason to go outside of that just to be quote-unquote different, so I just built it, you know what I'm saying? So that's always going to be his deck, I just have a copy of it. Kind of like you were saying with the Dargo Kedis situation, like, yep, yep, that's your deck, it's great, I'm going to build something on my own and try to make it as competitive as possible. I love okay, that. So... <laughs> well it's a good deck it's a fun deck I yeah cool uh with that tangent out of the way i guess we can get back to your your points here gator were we on theory development is that where we were at yeah pretty pretty much so he, here's one for you guys so with with decks similar to this right with like the dargo Kedis and the loyal subordinate as the gatekeepers right we need mm-hmm. to look at what does it take to beat them because if we lose to these consistently, we're not going to be able to, to evolve into the format. We're not going to be successful. And if you look at each one of these decks, they all present something different to the table. Stopping Kedis doesn't cause you, like, doesn't win you the game, right? Right. <clears throat> and each one of them are susceptible to different cards. And that's what makes them such a healthy gatekeeper. So if you look at Scholar, it has the counter spells. It's a very efficient combo deck, but it doesn't lose the Lightning Bolt. But Loyal Subordinate, Lightning Bolt's amazing. Well, Lightning Bolt doesn't (laughs) touch a Dargo. So, like, you have to figure what cards do I need to have access to to stop these decks, right? You could be Scholar and you could be Dargo with Snuff Out. Loyal Subordinate's going to laugh in your face. So, and what'd you say? Do his little zombie dance and laugh? Yeah, it's going to do a little zombie dance. But, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's what's so exciting about that is like decks like this are causing you and forcing you to diversify your threats. You can no longer be like, I will play Lightning Bolt and Chain Lightning. 
you do not live in that world anymore. You need to understand that if my Dargo hits the table and you have a chain lightning, nothing's happening. Right. So now Might we need to be a dead card. Yeah. Exactly. Now we need to look at cards like lava, lava axe, right? Or lightning axe. And mm-hmm. like actually figure out, well, you know, if every one of my cards says destroy target non black creature, I will not be successful if loyal subordinate sits across from me. <laughs> right. It's 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 very interesting to look at the format as a whole, right? Because you're looking at those it's the gatekeepers. But what those decks are truly doing is they help gatekeep with Abdel, Gretchen, and the Malcolm, right? Because the three of those are just so incredibly powerful, but they're slower, which is kind of crazy to even say. Because, yes, they are streamlined, but they have tapped lands, they have this. And that's one thing for you, Alk, that uh, I wanted to bring up with you. Lands coming to play untapped is one of the main reasons why I've been successful. If you have chosen to put two or three tap lanes into play against me, and I show you a turn two Dargo, I will win that race all day. Same with Scholar. If I show you 34 islands, I'm never being forced to not have counter spells up. I'm never not forced to have anticipate up. I'm always continuing to move my game plan forward. And actually... Brad, this is something we had a great discussion with, and I wanted to bring this up. Mm-hmm. The One of these theory developments that we've been really working very hard on was the fact that a lot of decks, and this took us a long time to figure out, like to stay in a neutral state. And what I mean by that is that you're taking game actions, you're taking game actions, you're doing really cool, explosive, exciting things but your game plan isn't actually moving forward. You're not actually winning the game. You're not actually like doing truly anything but taking more game actions. Right. Yep. And that's it's it's weird to say that, right? Because there's so many decks that have the ability to stop everyone from winning. But then you kind of just sit there. You kind of just look at everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. How you doing today? Like, how was lunch and you're kind of just <laughs> awkwardly staring at each other like uh, you know not too shabby mm-hmm. but <clears throat> so i kind of want to bring things a little bit back if you don't mind no go for it and talk about the healthiness and this is going to kind of go into the meta breaking aspect and this will be my my one hot take and liam i appreciate this one i did hear that episode where you said you're going to let me talk about this <laughs> so Mystic Sanctuary and the healthiness of the format. The format is so incredibly healthy that there are decks that are black that don't play Crypt Rats. There are decks that are blue that don't play Mystic Sanctuary. Now, I got to ask your guys' thoughts. Is that a bit of a hot take or what do you guys think about that? I think it's a perfectly valid take. Yeah, the take is perfectly valid. It's surprising that that it's true, but the take is perfectly, yeah, perfectly valid. Yeah, so something we've really learned is that when you believe that we have cards that are just purely auto-include, your deck is doomed to fail because you're never actually going outside the box and looking for better cards for your deck because you're like, oh, I'm blue, counterspell. Yeah, I'm playing counterspell. 
Have you ever considered the fact that if you're just a blue deck, your opponent may just always think you have a counterspell and you don't have to run any counterspells ever? <laughs> uh, they always got I it. Mean, they always got it. I think you do need to run the counterspells. Uh, I play three in Abdel. At all points of the game, everybody thinks I have one. Pretty much never do. <laughs> all right, your secret's out. That's it. It's on the public airwaves now. I mean, Malcolm and Kedis specifically, when I took out Mystic Sanctuary, my win rate went through the roof because I didn't have like these dirtly turns where I was like, oh, I'm going to keep this Mystic because when they kill the Malcolm, I'll have this game plan to where I do this and do this and do this. Now my game plan is, ooh, untap land. I'm going to play Malcolm and protect Malcolm. So I'm taking different game actions based upon how streamlined my deck has become. And that brings me to synergy. So with nothing being sacred, and I'm going to be cutting cards like Mystic Sanctuary and Crypt Rats and like these cards that we consider, I don't know, since I've started playing the format to be bombs, right? Like Mystic Sanctuary's banned in, in, in Popper 60 card. So we obviously know how good this card is. But synergy, in my opinion, is king in our format. If your cards are working hand-in-hand hand with one another, your deck will be successful. You just have to figure out the numbers, do the math, and all that kind of jazz. And even if we look back historically at the Sanctuary tournaments, Malcolm Arden topped four. First appearance. Yeah. Seder Enchanter top forward. Abdel Black top forward. It's first appearance as well. These decks are not like... You would never go, oh, yeah, you know Malcolm Arden, that's a deck. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh, it's a Malcolm, sure. Yeah, but for sure, yeah. What's Arden doing? Like, who knows, right? And then Seder Enchanter, everyone knows Seder Enchanter, but the deck is so different in different players' hands. We have, like, historically, what was that deck? I think he had, like, I don't know, it was like 40 enchantments or 50 enchantments in the list. And it was just like, wow. These different takes on these lists is absolutely beautiful. So yeah. if we could definitively say not all decks are going to do this, now we can actually look at cards from a larger parameter. Like my first example I'd like to do is uh, Azra with you guys. Sure. And I started playing Azra and I was like, oh man, I think this deck will be a meta breaker. And I lost my first 10 games, just destroyed. And I'm like, <laughs> huh. Like, this deck's not that good, or I'm just this bad at this game. But then I was like, well, my Crypt Rat keeps losing me the game. Pestilence is just awful. Like, these cards are just not good. But I'm not looking it in the context of Azura. I'm looking in the context of just a powerful magic card. So when I started cutting these cards and actually, like, building the synergy with Azra, I started winning games. And I started winning a lot of games. So I was like, okay... Sex actually insane. I was just playing it horribly. And it just keeps going and it keeps domino affecting with more and more decks that we have in the format. <clears throat> Sivris was the same thing. Sivris in the hands of uh, Islane. You guys know Islane? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He was on Sivris for a long time. Yep. It took, I mean, you saw him play game after game after game. Every mm -hmm. game he had a new set of cards. Yep. Plug it in play, plug it in play, plug it in play. 
That deck is so synergistic now, it is disgusting. You blink at it wrong, and it's like reanimating things out of the yard. You have no <laughs> idea what's happening. You're like, what just happened? Oh, you know, I got stickers over here. I have this over there. You know, and it's just so many things are happening. And yeah, you're probably dead when that starts to happen. So how do you know? Here's another question. I think we may have touched on this in the uh, in our little water cooler chat a while back. So, you know, on, on one end of the spectrum, like you said, you had 187 games on your spreadsheet, all documented out, all the data. And on the other end, you have, uh, like you just sort of mentioned with Islane, where every time he played a Sivers deck, he had different cards in there, different cards in there, different cards in there every time. Where's sort of like the, the middle ground here to where you get to a point and say, this deck is competitive? Because the variance in our format is wild, is crazy, is crazy. Like, I have decks that, you know, I've played less than 10 times, but they have an 80% win rate. They're far from competitive. You know what I'm saying? So how do you know, like, okay, here we go. Now is the time. It's not going to get much better than this until they print better versions of these cards. So, If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. I kind of like to refer back to, like, the gatekeepers in the big three. Mm-hmm. I think you have to kind of play test against those decks. As, as long okay. as you have, like, somebody willing to test those decks against you, you you'll know like okay my deck truly is competitive now in the building of the deck like you said like oh i won nine games in a row and with the uh don't mean to interrupt you but with these gatekeeping decks the top three you're talking about the you're talking about specific decks not just oh you need to play against a combo deck and you need to play against a mid-range deck or what have you like correct these specific commanders that are top of the meta correct because so for instance right you're gonna sit down you're gonna go okay i'm not keeping a hand with removal but my hand is so good, my game plan is going to start happening on turn four. Mm-hmm. And then that's the game that Dargo kills you turn three. And you're like, <laughs> well, damn. Shoot. Yep. Um, do it again. And then you do it again. And then you're like, this hand's all removal. And then you lose the Scholar on turn four. And you're like, okay, what is right. happening here? How do I solve these problems? Like there has to be a key. But you figure it out through mulligans. You figure it out through play patterns. And you're like, okay. Abdel Sword is pathetic. That deck can't win a game against me. Mm-hmm. Which happened to me for weeks on end. Especially because I'm very honest with like the player groups. I'm like, guys, you want to beat me? Play X card. That card will beat me. And right. for, I don't know, it was like two months or so after I had won the first Sanctuary with Abdel, every group I started playing with had multiple copies of Suture Priest. And I'm like, hmm... I can't beat this card. <laughs> They're like, yep, you said you can't. And I'm like, yeah. Um, people forget the Abdel trigger is not a May. So if I create these tokens, they come out. Yep. So, so it's, it's happening. Yep. So you get in this like weird loop where there's one or two Suture Priests in play. You're kind of just looking at your hand going, I have four blinks. I can't use any of them because I'll make <laughs> seven tokens and then I'll, I'll lose. fireball myself. Yep. Yep. So, and and it's funny, like Gretchen, right? What destroys Gretchen? A boomerang. But an Azra oddsmaker, like, what are you going to play to beat Gretchen? You're like, okay, I have a, what's the, what's the red card? The two mana sorcery, destroy target land, draw card. Oh, the wildfire. Cleansing wildfire. Cleansing wildfire, right? That's what most people gravitate to. But that's only one card in your 99. Sinkhole exists. Now we have redundancy. 
But what's great about those two cards is you get to play cards like Shred Memory, which will tutor for either one of those. So now you have even more redundancy. So like putting the pieces of the puzzle together is always absolutely fantastic. And I'd like to bring up this deck because I have the wonderful pleasure of partnering with uh, Clay, the RC member. Ooh, quite the duo. And we have been working on a Sir Conrad list. Mm -hmm. And I must say, it is very good. I've been very impressed with it, and it has done exactly what we said. How do we beat Scholar? How do you beat Dargo? How do you beat Loyal? Okay, we could beat those decks now. If you have the tool to beat those three decks, you're able to play against the, the big three, as we call them. Yeah. So Sir Conrad is just disgusting. I think you guys have played against Sir Conrad for years now. I don't need to go on and oh, sure. talk about how busted he is. But <laughs> yeah, it's if a card could do its thing on its own, it's inherently powerful. And Sir Conrad could win the game with mana and himself. So. Right. Awesome. I like that approach quite a bit. It takes a lot of uh a lot of focus, a lot of like um puzzle uh problem solving if you will. Like well, digging in and actually figuring out not just like your deck and what it's trying to do and what it can do, but also your opponent's decks and what what you think is in there and what that deck is capable of and knowing what your outs are and it's it's a different mindset that I'm used to, and it's very impressive to like watch you, watch Clay, watch Scarecrow, even like work on these competitive decks, tune them, fine tune them, play them in pods, play them in tournaments, and just you know, with all the success you guys have had, it's it's super impressive to watch from the outside. Well, you really have to be as as weird as this this is to say, open minded, especially building a competitive deck, because you're like, okay, do I want heated debate or do I want bolt? Right? There could be a world where you don't play bolt. Like, mm -hmm. there are those circumstances, and without truly, like, considering those things, you're never going to be successful within your deck building. So we, we've really, and once again, I'm going to keep harping on this, the community has been such a good help, right? Because I'm only one person. And with all these guys, like, in my corner, and I'm in their corner, their cards I forget, and they bring them up. And there's, like... I've, guys, I mean, you guys know Finhorn Brownie, of course. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we talk all the time about certain cards and the parameters and why this is good and why this is not good. Oh, it's funny. Every time, well, not every time, but usually if I post a commander in our Discord and I say, hey, I'm thinking about brewing this deck up. Has anybody experienced it or had any, you know, play tested or anything? Almost, I would say, seven out of ten times Brownie comments. Oh, I'm working with Gator on that deck. Gator and I have talked about it. <laughs> yep. Like clockwork. It's it's impressive to see. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been so fantastic. And it's, I, you know, I hate to keep name dropping people, but, you know. Mm -mm, uh, absolutely. Little Lotad is uh, what we like to call him. He's, you know, he's through and through out there with us building these decks. And he's the uh, the Lois Bornet um, pilot and creator. And he's been out there just like, okay, I'm going to take a week to research one card. And you're like, woof, that's okay. a that's a lot of work there, buddy. <laughs> Good luck to you. But like, <laughs> like clockwork comes back the next day. This is what I found. This is the research. What do you think we got? And it's been fantastic. So 
Yeah, and that stuff is huge. Like, whoever, you know, the listeners to this episode or anyone outside the sort of, like, CPDH meta, if you will, the you hear something like that, like, it'll take a card or take a suite of creatures or removal spells or what have you and, like, play it for a week, play it for two weeks, research, get the data, and you think, as an outsider, you're like, okay, that seems kind of excessive, but that stuff really pays off. It pays off not only, obviously, in that deck, it pays off in the competitive meta as a whole, and that sort of um, mindset, that sort of uh, dedication to doing that trickles down to the quote-unquote casual community, the casual games. It, that sort of deck theorizing and deck building spreads out to everybody. It's not just like this this secret, you know, in the competitive meta. Like, all that stuff affects everybody, and it, and it brings everybody up. It brings everybody's deck building skills up. It opens up to, like you said, the open-mindedness. It gives people cards they've never seen before synergies they haven't thought of before so it's not just like oh he took this one card and made it awesome in this deck he took this one card and presented everybody the whole format with all this all these reasons why this card can be good in multiple decks very much agree but i mean we also have to be like very honest with each other as well as a community Mm -hmm. right like talking about these decks like something me and puzzle have been very good with is saying how our decks lose and like that was one of my biggest things with abdel i was like guys it's slow like a large part of you guys think the deck is fast the deck is slow but i get to a point if you haven't stopped me you you are not yeah you're gonna die on the spot yep you do not tap out rule one (laughs) do not tap out rule two don't let me get into the long game with abdel right same with puzzle and gretchen how do you stop Gretchen? Kill the land untapper. Leave Gretchen alone. Kill the land untapper. How do you stop Malcolm and Kedis? Kill the Malcolm. Right. Over and over and over again. Just never let it exist. Yep. So you're only means to an out. So there's there's so many ways to really go about and but here's the greatest part. Once again, back to how healthy the format is. There are so many decks that have the ability to exist and could win games. I lost like two days ago to Dragon's Mage. Like just got <laughs> obliterated. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. amazing. So everything can exist. Like yeah. it's just. And it's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go for it. No, I, I was going to say you'll see it uh, all the time on Discord or on Twitter or what have you or somebody, whether they're. A regular PDH player, or they're new to the you know to the scene, or what have you, and they're just like, "Hey, my LGS is ha- you know, put on a paper PDH tournament, and what deck do you think I should bring?" Like, you can't answer that question because there is no like I can tell you what some of the best decks are, but he's like, "What do you you know? What do you think I'll see? What do you think will be the most prevalent commander?" And it's like that's l- almost literally impossible to answer for our format because it just doesn't. Look at all the different decks that were at Detroit that have been in the Sanctuary tournaments. Like, oh, yeah. and like you were just saying, you know, so many different options are out there. Like, and that's why I think it's nice that you've sort of boiled it down to: if you want a super competitive deck, regardless of the commander you're going to build, you need to you need to be able to hold your own against these top three or four decks. Yep. Yeah. Well, like the the streamlineness to it, right? Like. Certain decks, the lands coming into play tapped is just backbreaking. But we have a lot of really cool value lands, right? 
So it it's one of those things where you're like, I could do this. I could tap out against Loyal Subordinate. No, you can't. I could tap out against Scott. No, no, you can't. I tap out against Dargo. <laughs> Buccaneers bravado. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> right? So you learn that very quickly in the in the tournament scene for sure. Right. Now I noticed one thing here on your little um your your talking points here for the episode talking about what cards are falling out of favor. So there's actually a lot of cards that are falling out of favor. Um mm-hmm. Crypt Rats is my favorite example. I've been doing a lot of research specifically on Crypt Rats. And I know that's kind of a weird card to do research on. <laughs> but I've what I've seen is that if you're the player that uses the Crypt Rats, you lose the game. Now, do you stop a player from winning the game? Yes, you have stopped the player that was ahead the most, but then you lose to a different player. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm learning these different like situations of going, wait, Crypt Rats is a trap. Because what continues to happen over and over and over again is I see this situation happening and happening and happening. But that brings us right back to the community because what's really cool is that like the Sanctuary and a few other the discords are very open to allowing other players to watch the games. Yeah. So we, we actually get to watch other players play the game and interact. And you actually see this happen. So it's not like I'm theorizing or I'm doing any of these things. No, I'm watching the game and I'm watching this player use a Crypt Rats and then they lose to the following player. So cards that are falling out of favor, another one is a card like Breath Weapon. What are you doing with Breath Weapon? You're stopping player A, B, C, and D. Are you winning the game after you stop them? Or are you stalling the game? Yeah, you beat, you're beat. you beating the TPI player. Maybe but, some Abdel tokens. Yep, but then what are you doing? Right. Maybe you need that TPI player to be a threat with you and help you. So taking a player out by their legs is always backbreaking because sometimes you need that player to help you. There are so many games where you need one of the players and just taking them out is not always a positive thing. Right. I was, I was playing a competitive game on Lobbert's stream uh, a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, someone was playing Weaver's Castle. Uh, Lobbert was on Sphinx Summoner. I was on Bird Horse. And the fourth player was on Lagrella Flickers. And, uh, I, I mean, Bird Horse does the same thing every single game. Came out the gate and was just beating down on the Weavers player. And then Lagrella <laughs> comes in, and Lagrella is going to, uh, exile the, the Weaver that this guy has like 12 mana to recast effortlessly. And, uh, and the bird. And I, I was, I was completely tapped out from counterspelling the the Weaver's attempt to win the game. So I didn't have protection from the bird. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll send the bird to the command zone. But, I mean, if you're going to merc the bird and take away the counters that are already on it, like, what's your plan for killing Weaver's? He didn't answer me. And then, like, two turns later, he kills the bird again. And I still can't protect it. And then he kills the bird a third time. Oh no! And then Weavers <laughs> wins. And I was like, "What are you do? Like, why? 
I get. I I know that Lagrilla says that you get to exile a card from each person's board. Like you don't have to. You can just let me kill weavers. Like you don't have to bring me down with you, guy. Like what? Why is this happening? Yeah, it like, says uh, exile any number of creatures. Zero. Any is a number. number. <laughs> like you can you can choose not to exile the bird. You could just yeah. let me kill the weavers player, or you could just continue preventing me from like doing anything and then die to the combo right and i see you have chosen the latter like everything you're saying about crypt rats is reminding me a lot of that game like sure it's a it's a powerful control piece but like lagrella has the option of not taking down the table with it like <laughs> he could have chosen to leave the bird alone for a couple turns and then gotten it later uh but like crypt rats doesn't give you that option it's gonna it's just gonna kill everything all the time. Like I I absolutely support it not being an Ezra. It seems like a terrible card to put in an Ezra deck. Uh I feel like it's I feel like it's probably mixed in a loyal subordinate deck. Like if you're if the subordinate deck has enough life gain to make sure that it's ahead, then Crypt Rats as a finisher makes sense to me. Crypt Rats as a control piece seems like a bad plan. Yep. Agreed. But yeah, I I think that I think that Yes, re reconceptualizing our view of these things that like some some people are gonna say this is categorically a staple, it belongs in every black deck. Like what's what's the word I'm looking what, for? Do, do I have being a card suspicious? For you? Being suspicious of that. Mm -hmm. Critical. Being critical. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Yes. Being critical of those claims. That is what I think needs to happen. Like, there are some cards that I think are still competitive staples that should be in every deck. I think Arcane Denial is the best counterspell ever. Uh, yeah. I think it should be in every single blue deck. Counterspell, maybe, probably. You know, could, and I've noticed I it, could, too, on the sort of, like, more casual side or high power side, if you will, where there'll be a deck that I've played for a long time. And it'll have a Crypt Rats in it. And then, like, you know, I, I can't find a spot. There, uh, Say a new card gets printed or there's this pet card I have that I really want to play and I can't find a cut for it. And I end up cutting Crypt Rats for it. I cannot remember what deck I was playing, but I cut Crypt Rats for this card. And suddenly the deck played completely differently. And like, like Gator said, I wasn't the threat. I didn't die because I didn't play Crypt Rats. Like, it was this whole dynamic change to the deck itself by taking out the one card, the one threat, if you will, to the whole board. Yeah, absolutely. I took... And, and it was just a matter of conceptualizing the deck as a whole and what it's trying to do, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, do I, I... have a card for you, Alk? Do yeah. I have the perfect example for you? Did you ever so... notice that Oubliette sees negative play? <laughs> I... So... I'm I'm one thousand percent prepared to believe you that that is the truth. That is not something that I have noticed because I have uh, very carefully curated my play experiences so that they do not include Oubliette. There was there was a, a solid six months after it got reprinted where I saw it constantly, mm -hmm. and every single time it resolved, it just took me out of the game. And then I stopped playing with those people forever. Anytime someone oubliated <laughs> me, they were on the black. They were on the list. I never yep. played another game with them. So I, if it has seen more or less play since then, I would not have noticed. So, but I'm prepared to listen to what you have to say. So it sees essentially zero play, and it's very like very easy reasoning behind it. 
So if you hit the blue player, what the blue player gets to do, because we all play bounce, is we get to sit behind it and hide. Oh, you oublietted me. You oublietted my Malcolm. I'll assemble the pieces in my hand, and then I'll bounce it at the end of turn, get my Malcolm back, put my combo in play, and win the game. All of the big three could do that play pattern very right. easily. So why would you hit the Dargo if you need the Dargo to take out the Abdo? So you're not oublietting the Dargo. So you fall to this pit trap of yourself to where you're like, this oubliette's doing nothing for me. But then you run into the other decks that have white, and randomly all the white cards say destroy target enchantment on them now for who knows what reason. <laughs> I love so, that. Yep. Yep. So you can't even play it against the white deck anymore. You're just like, oh, look, here's my oubliette. And they're like, here's a Dawnbringer Caleric. That's a cute card. You <laughs> yeah, get it off right? the table, please. So Oubliette is such a trap card as well because you you get comfortable. You're like, oh, I took out the Abdel, guys. It's gone forever. And the Abdel player is just like, oh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. You made me look fantastic, and I'm just sitting here gathering my pieces. Yeah, and it doesn't help that being three mana, double black, that is super intensive Like to spend your whole turn to cast it only for it to get bounced or just become ineffective or destroyed or what have you. Yep. Yeah, there's so many entertaining cards in decks these days because Wizards just prints cards that don't actually do what they do, and that's kind of what's entertaining. So, like in Abdel as the example, you you play Flicker of Fate. A lot of people don't realize that Flicker that of card. Fate targets anything. Yep. So you just hit the Oubliette when it enters the battlefield. You flicker the Abdel and win the game. So you don't even have to destroy it. <laughs> so there, there's so many awkward lines that these decks can take because mm. cards are reading differently than they used to. Because years ago, that card would say, you control. Now it just yeah. says, owner's control. Yep. So on the on the topic of things like sort of shifting in and or, or in this case out of... Uh, popularity as as we sort of question the idea of whether or not they're they're as staplish as as we are led to believe i have questions for you about treasure crews and by extension relic of progenitus a, a couple of years ago i started taking treasure crews out of some of my blue decks because they didn't fill the graveyard fast enough for me to like enjoy playing the treasure crews and sometimes mm -hmm. i just like was you know someone there were a lot of games where someone has the, the turn one relic and they just they prevent you from ever getting that critical mass of graveyard stuff to, to use the treasure cruise. If relic is still like ubiquitous, then I will stand by this decision. If relic is falling out of favor, I might need to put treasure cruise back in. Or maybe it's time to take treasure cruise out so, of some decks. What are you what are your what are your thoughts on that dynamic? So it's a little bit of everything. So the reason you play Relic these days is you have a clock. You can't play Relic without a clock these days because even if you hit their graveyard, you're going to get to a point to where they could continue to win because mm -hmm. certain decks are able to win on top of their win, which as the examples, again, the big three all could win on top of their own win. I could flicker right. Abdel, you Relic me, 
with the trigger on the stack, I could flicker again and went on over top of it. That's so actually it happened even, to me before. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> there's so many scenarios that without the clock, you can't play relic because you're not pressuring your opponent. So like a deck like gut, any gut variant, that deck could have relic all day because it's providing a clock and getting the job done. And relic has a multi-purpose set in that deck, right? It could be a 4-1 skeleton at its worst or just a cantrip. So you feel great about it in every single scenario. Mm -hmm. But then you have a card like Treasure Cruise, which I believe you guys have seen me do this on camera, where Malcolm will die, Kedis will die, and I'll put him in the yard. And then I'll use the Treasure Cruise to eat them, to that, reload my yeah. hand. Yeah, so yeah. Yep. there are still a lot of ways to play Treasure Cruise. We used to use that trick with uh, Noble Benefactor before... Before the Commander <laughs> Rules Committee changed the um, the dies rule, where if you wanted to get the dies trigger, you had to send it to the graveyard and leave it there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you wanted the dies trigger off Noble Benefactor, like there's shockingly few ways to put it back into the command zone so you can recast it. Treasure Cruise was one of them. <laughs> Fantastic. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no worries. Yeah, putting putting Malcolm into the graveyard and then hitting him back in the command zone with that Treasure Cruise. Uh, 10 out of 10 play. Well, I mean, highly recommend. There, there's so many like different ways you could take some of these cards. Uh, if you're going to ask me if Treasure Cruise belongs in all decks, I will definitely tell you no. Because there's some okay. decks that. Now, you will also see me pay 8 mana, which I've done before with Abdel to cast Treasure Cruise. But if you look oh, at yeah, Abdel sure. right now, I do not play Treasure Cruise. And also, I don't play Arcane Denial. <laughs> as funny as that is, but. What what three counter spells are you on on in Abdel? Uh, dispel, counter spell, and I cannot remember the last one for the life of me. But I could tell you in one second. I'm shocked that uh, Arcane Denial isn't top three. Deprive. Deprive. That's good. oh, yes. that's the one that bounces a land. Yep, Mystic yeah. Sanctuary. Mystic Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Deprive blocks with Mystic Sanctuary were brutal and pauper. Technically, I play Muddle, but it's not really a counter spell. No, no, it's not. rarely, rarely ever is. But yeah, uh, no arcane denial. I like so. I know we spoke about this in the pre-show, and there's certain things that I never want. And of course, I'm going to use Puzzle, my co-host, as the example. If I sit down across Puzzle and me and him are a game together, I never want arcane denial anything he does. Because no. giving puzzle cards is a bad idea. It's the last thing you want to do. Yep. Exactly. Because I know he's going to use them much better than I will be. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, okay, can't give you cards. So it's kind of a, a strange way to look at it. It's the same way I kind of look at the initiative and the monarch and things of that nature. It's like, do I ever want to sit across a gut leader player, introduce the initiative? That seems like a bad idea. Because they're just nuking me off the planet now and taking <laughs> it away from me. So. Yep, that'll be the last uh, last thing you get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. Uh, this probably touches on what we talked about earlier, but I like in your bullet points here, you have um, looking at deck construction of the meta decks. I like that because it's it puts more of a, um, a fine-tooth comb, if you will, on what we talked about earlier in that, okay, I, can, I need to build my deck to beat uh, Gretchen. 
well, are you just are you building your deck to try to beat a combo deck because that's what Gretchen is, or are you trying to beat your, you know build your deck because you know what Gretchen plays, you know the ninety nine of Gretchen, and you're trying to beat that deck, or are you trying to just beat any combo deck? But Gretchen happens to be the best. You know, I like that you specifically uh, called out understanding. You know, the the deck construction of those top decks. Like that's that's a really important factor that I don't think a lot of people really take into consideration. A lot of people also forget, like, the random cards, like, Sinkhole and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. If you play Sinkhole and you destroy their land, Gretchen's land, that's backbreaking. But now let's say we're playing against Abdel. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but if you take one of Abdel's mana rocks, that can interrupt a combo. So what if you took one of their lands? They might not have the mana now to recast Abdel if you're able to kill it once. So mm-hmm. the tempo play, the card advantage, and as strange as it sounds, sink only one time, one player is actually good enough. Yeah, because that's the flexibility that you spoke about earlier, where it's extremely good against mm-hmm. Gretchen, and it's fairly good against the rest. Oh, it's- but here's a, I'll give you guys a real entertaining story. So we have a really good, um, local scene right now for uh popper cpdh events which has been fantastic that's awesome so my daughter went with me to the last one and we were she was so excited to play she goes dad i'm playing dargo kettis i'm gonna run them all over i'm like okay you do that so we get there and they're like hey guys can we play some games before the tournament she was like yeah of course let me get my deck she grabs her deck plays like three games back to back kills the table on turn five all three <laughs> games naturally yep they're like, what just happened? They couldn't believe what they just experienced. So the first round of the tournament, she's against two of those players. Oh. One of the players mulligans to a destroy artifact card, and the other one mulligans to removal for Dargo. Mm-hmm. So her first card of the game was, in seat three, was Great Furnace. She goes, here's my artifact land, turn one. Play something random, go. Mm-hmm. player one goes uh destroy your land right. she's like uh-oh <laughs> and they proceeded to bully her out of the game she played something someone destroyed it she played Kedis, they killed it she played dargo they killed it and i was like well that happens so yeah, yeah that absolutely happens oh fantastic talks was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get out of here for today uh, no, not at all, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of kind of apologetic. It took 81 episodes to get you on, but uh, I would definitely have to have you back on in the future. I think we talked about this being like the state of the format thing being like a regular update having you on, huh? Was that something we talked about, Liam? Uh, I think the state, the state of the format is regular. Yeah. I don't know that it's the same guest every time, but there's no reason we can't bring him back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on for, for one reason or another. With with hopefully a real voice this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sounded good. I, I like talking competitive popper with someone that is in Actually. as in touch with Yeah, as in touch with the meta as you are. And it's not just like, oh, you know, I know the meta because I play hundred and eighty seven games with one deck. Like like Alcadron sort of joked about earlier, you help you're actually part of the meta. Like you help shape it. You help 
change it. You help push it forward. Like that's something you actively do, whether, whether you want to take credit for that or not, or even realize it or not, that's something that you actively do just by being the deck builder you are and being the community member you are and just sort of like going hard on PDH all the time without ever stopping. That's just sort of what you do. Well, I had the the pleasure to play against Alcadron the other day. It was uh, quite nice. Yeah. Were you trying out a casual deck this time or were you guys uh, slinging some CPDH? No, we were uh, we were slinging some CPDH. I had the pleasure of playing against some uh, Is It, and I was uh, yeah. testing out my Azra. Hmm. I dropped the ball on that game badly. Uh oh. Yeah. Lots of, I, lots of misplays happened that game. Tons of misplays. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I I was. It's been. That was like the first time I picked up the Is It deck in like a year and a half, and I. Turns out don't the, do that. The guild mage deck, right? Like, the, yeah, the the yeah. is it guild mage? Like, don't don't walk away from it from eighteen months and then come back <laughs> to it and think you know how to do anything. Like, it's such a complex, demanding deck that you, you yeah, can't just really step is. into it. Well, then why did you, gotta, you do that? Because I I don't know. You thought things. he was smarter, smarter than the I th- deck. I thought you were supposed to be smart. <laughs> I don't know what gave you that impression. I. <laughs> I've never made that claim before in my life. I don't even know how to read. <laughs> he's got a little, like a little uh, earpiece in that someone reads the cards to him as he's playing them. No, I just memorized the pretty pictures. Oh, okay. That like, works. Is, which is why, like, a lot of the secret layer stuff, like, always, like, makes me at angry like an old man. And I get, like, irritated. I'm like, I don't know what that card does. What the hell is that? And someone's oh, like, relax, it's Boomerang. And I'm like, oh, I do know what oh, that card does. I got just it. Yeah. Mm, whoops. Oh, sweet. I think That's we've awesome. all been there with those kinds of cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Before we get into the outro here, do you have any uh, super uh, deck sauce you've been working on? Anything spicy coming down the pipeline? Well, I am trying to play a mid-range deck for the next sanctuary event sweet which one don't know yet it's don't know yet <laughs> between it's between two i'm really liking azra so the i want to see you play <clears throat> Azra. i do too i want to see you yeah azra would be awesome i would love to see your super competitive take on a, a true mid-range deck like that because that i mean that's god that could be a whole episode by itself but like i feel like mid-range uh, and maybe it's not. I mean, you could definitely correct me, but it, it doesn't seem like mid-range is as explored in the competitive scene as I think it should be. Or maybe I just love mid-range to an unhealthy degree. No. Well, mid-range has been there toe-to-toe with um, combo. I, I believe they actually have the same like numbers in the data as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think one thing that mid-range has suffered from was the the prominence of this is a good card. This is a good card. You need to play this good card instead of trying to build like off of random cards as awkward as I may sound. But <laughs> like as it as a prime example with Azra, I have some very strange cards, very strange. And I'll just bring this one one card up because I will have to give one quick shout out and that'll be to Clay. He assisted me one morning with this card, Mm -hmm. and it has been a house in the deck, and that is the Shattered States Era. 
I and love Shadow Spicy. Era. Yeah, super yeah. spicy. Yeah. It's a, so, it's a threaten, <laughs> and then it's a trumpet blast, and then it's a body? Yes. Yeah. So, importantly, the body is trample. Uh-huh. And when yeah. you have a bunch of little unblockable critters, pumping them is bonkers. It provides a clock. And taking your dude in competitive play is gross. Yeah, super so, gross. The card is a house, and that's what I cut Crypt Rats for. And that card has already won me games. So, Oh, I can see that. I most recently I put that card into my uh, Sauntering General deck, which is kind of just haste flavored. Mm-hmm. Like I want I want people to to try and turn off the the battalion ability by just killing some of my other creatures, and then being <laughs> be, me being like ah surprise here's a lava serpent. I'm attacking with three creatures anyway. Take it. <laughs> so I I put that in there like because it has haste. Yeah. Um, yep. But like, uh, yeah, the the I got, you know, I I don't sleeve my decks, and usually it, when I have this double sided cards, I'll put in like a proxy for it. I just got really lazy about this one, and I'm just shuffling it into the deck with its like back up invisible, and I just kind of don't care. And so far, <laughs> neither has anyone I've played against. So like, I just I think about that card a lot when I'm shuffling that deck. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's the there's the conqueror, judge, judge. <laughs> yep, it's such a good card. It is. It, it's really it, good. Trample is just bonkers in Azra because yeah, I'll sure. still get my trigger because I'll still deal damage to you, and it is yeah, its card is amazing. That's great. Right. Excellent. Well, we definitely look forward to that. I think Alcadron will be in that event too, so that'll be fun. Yeah. We have a rematch. Maybe Exciting. someone will finally unseat Gator. Maybe. I know there's a lot of not, people trying. Not it. <laughs> not no, it. <laughs> they'll be allowed to tap out against me this time because I'll be go. playing mid range. So. I'm not going to be able to just win when they tap just out. Just win. So. <laughs> oh, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, let's let's move on into the outro here. We got a few things to talk about before we wrap it up for the week. If you need more Popper Command to talk or have any questions about the format, format, excuse me, you can follow us on Instagram and over on X slash Twitter at the PDH Pod. We're just that on both of those uh, platforms. You can email the show at the pdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That'll take you to their Discord server. You'll find Gator. You'll find all of us. You'll find pretty much everybody in the PDH community over there. Uh, you can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. And Alcadron is uh, literally everywhere else the PDH is being talked about. And Gator, where can the listeners find you? Well, you can pretty much find me in all those same places, but you can also find me on the Common Theory with my man, Puzzle Box. And we'll be more than happy to talk to you guys and definitely give us a little follow over there as well. Yeah, and that's uh, you guys are on YouTube and Spotify, right? Yes, we are. Awesome. Yep, yep. I try not to miss uh, an episode. Good, good. Con- if, if you're into competitive Popper Commander talk, that's definitely one to listen to because I like how you guys, like you mentioned, you go down like theorizing. You're not just like, here's an hour of deck techs and here's an hour of tournament results. Like you actually break down card types and the cards themselves and the commanders themselves. And it's really a pretty beneficial podcast to have in the, uh, in the uh, community. And we play them and we take them out and play them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Liam, did you have anything you wanted to add here? Yeah. We're going over the one final thing. Uh, Talking about the sanctuary tournament that's coming up. it, It will be on March 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. It is competitive. There are cash prizes. I'm not quite sure what the entry fee is this time. I think it's the same as last time, but don't quote me on that. 
go over to sanctuarypdh.com or follow sanctuarypdh on Twitter slash X for more information. And they also have a really cool Discord Mm. server, uh, a lot of casual conversations going on. It seems like there's always games firing off in there. So, yeah, go check that out. And Bobby, Bobby there will have all the information for you. Well, cool. We are going to wrap up episode 81 for the week, but before we come to a close, we got to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, Brudek, uh, try out some competitive Pauper Commander, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Cheers. See ya. Say bye, Gator. Later, later. I brought Pauper text at the party. Text at the party.